Welcome to the Heart of Life podcast, sponsored by Riverbend Counseling in Colorado Springs. I am Brooke Small. And I am Jesse Steffes. In this podcast, we dive into the heart of life's questions. This is not a substitute for mental health therapy. However, our goal is to make healing accessible for as many as possible. Today, we are going to be talking about self-sabotage, how we engage in it, why we engage in it, and how we can overcome it. And we're really happy to have, again, Riverbend Collective member, Phyllis McComb, with us today. Hello, thank you. I'm glad that you're here. Today's letter reads, Dear Heart of Life, every time I start to do something good with my life, I do something to ruin it. Sometimes in relationships, I start to notice all of the things that drive me crazy about someone, and eventually the relationship ends because I'm always nagging them to change. The thing is, once the relationship is over, I'm not sure why I hated those things. I usually try and get the person back, but by then it's over. All of this really makes me hate myself, but I also don't need no, <clears throat> don't seem to be able to help myself. I had a therapist once call this self-sabotage. I get that, but I don't understand it. Can you help me? Hmm. We can. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. When I when I hear this letter writer, I can I have a lot of clients come to mind, past clients, you know, that I've seen before and this confusion around why do these things keep coming into my space and then I also come to my own mind as well mm-hmm. in in different seasons of life and different things I've been trying to pursue where that just comes into the mix and it's mm-hmm. like why do I keep doing this yeah and I hear that frustration she has over it like I know this good thing that I should have but I can't seem to get it and I'm just self-destructing and I think we can do that to ourselves but also other people can see mm-hmm. us doing that mm-hmm. and are judging our behaviors like why can't they just get it together they always pick this type of person or this type of job and so it's just such a cyclical problem that then is reinforced by our own like self-judgment of or other people yeah, yeah absolutely you know what comes to mind for me and it just came to mind as we were talking about this is that for years, probably from the time I was early 20s, I would always write like my entrance essay to college, right? Like for a university, I would always write the essay and I'd have people read it and I'd go through three-fourths of the application process and then something would happen that I couldn't mm. do it, right? Like some something would come up that I just couldn't do it. And that happened over and over and over again. And finally, I came to this place that I realized that if I were to do that, and if I were to follow through with that, the rest of my life was going to change. And I wasn't quite prepared for that. So often, you know, we'll talk about self-sabotage in relationships, but we self-sabotage in what we do for ourselves or what we don't do for ourselves as well. And a lot of that has to do with not being able to predict what happens next, Mm. right? And that doesn't feel safe. So let's talk a little bit about that idea of 
protection and how our bodies and our brains have developed over millennia to try and keep us in as safe and predictable an environment as they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that fear of, I mean, saying fear of change seems kind of like, oh, fear of change, just don't be afraid of it anymore. That's not really how our bodies work, right? On a, on an actual physiological level, when it comes to, um, the idea of homeostasis, like we talked about. Um, so my, the, the metaphor that I used for this or the example that I used in my body, in my work and body positivity, we talk about a body's weight set point or a homeostasis. And this is a space that our bodies exist in where we don't have to exert much effort to eat in ways that feel mindful and nourishing and enjoyable. And then movement is also joyful. And when we have all of that on board and we don't have to think much about it, that's our body's weight homeostasis. It's safe in that place and it feels um, it feels adequately nourished and it's moving for all the right reasons. We can get into homeostasis in an emotional space as well, or like we're talking about today in a psychological state. And then anything that prompts us to move outside of that is going to feel uncomfortable at least. And sometimes our brain interprets that uncomfortability as a lack of safety. Mm-hmm. I like that you're bringing up the energetic piece to this because I think the thoughts are, I really want to change. I'm not afraid to change. I welcome change and I want that. And then somehow the action isn't able to follow through. Um, I just this week had someone say, I learned this and it really clicked with me that our bodies aren't trying to make us happy or keep us happy. They're keeping us comfortable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what we're comfortable in is dysfunction and broken relationships or um, being you know, hesitant to make changes. And so just thinking of it like on an energetic level, just like yeah. you said, that homeostasis, stasis, excuse me, that we want to stay there instead of necessarily doing what's best for us. Which is, is really adaptive, right? That we would want to stay in something sustainable, mm-hmm. um, even if it's not uh, maybe enjoyable or like, like you're talking about happy. Uh, we, we as humans want to stay in things that are going to help us continue to stick around. That's kind of the whole point of us being here in the way that we are mm-hmm. is we want to keep being here. Well, this can feel really confusing when we're talking about like really extreme versions of this, right? Like maybe somebody who continues to, to not take help to get out of an abusive relationship or, or, you know, what, whatever that looks like, but but let's keep in mind that if what you have grown up with your whole life is abuse or a level of dysfunction that other people might look at and say, I can't, how do you even stay there? You might not even know how you stay there, but it's predictable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Life outside of that isn't. And especially in the cases of domestic violence, to leave is scarier than to stay often because you know what's going to happen there. You don't know what will happen when you try Mm -hmm. and leave. Mm -hmm. And so if we now, if we bring that back down to relationships that are dysfunctional, but maybe not abusive, the same is true. I can, if I have an enmeshed relationship with a parent or a child that it might not feel good, but I know what to expect. Right. Yep. You know, when I worked in, um, in a job where we worked with a lot of substance, um, abuse, that 
type of judgment. I heard that as a judgment, the first, you know, example that you gave of like, why do you keep doing this? If you know all of these things, the, the judgment that carried with that was like, if you really wanted something better for yourself, you'd change. Mm -hmm. And there must be some part of you that's dishonest about wanting something better or likes this. Mm -hmm. And that, I think we can also put that on ourselves. Like I must, like even in this letter writer, like, why do I always ruin everything? I don't believe there's a part of you, you know, letter writer that's like, I just want to screw up my life. I really want to feel like a failure repeatedly. Nobody's actively choosing that. So there's these systems at play within us and, and that are perpetuated by a lot of our world, right? Or messages we've received that make that an easier space or an easier trail to continue to walk for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. Well, and we have these warring parts, right? So we, we have maybe our authentic self, but we have all of the protective parts that have been developed in dysfunction. And so it is not as easy as just saying, well, I'm going to do something different or I'm going to change my mind because we have all these protective parts that are saying, oh, no, no, we're not doing anything. We've learned how to protect ourselves within this. I don't have the tools to be able to do it anywhere else. Yeah, yeah I would add to that, too, that the institutions that we're in, the families that we have, this can this type of dysfunction that we've learned to operate in can be generations deep. It can just be how we've always done. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know to begin how to change. And so even though there's the idea that I don't like this and I want something different, um, it would be like, okay, well, build a rocket ship and go to the moon. Like, mm-hmm. how do I get out of this relationship? I have no no idea. Yeah. And really the, the cure for this is to feel an immense amount of discomfort mm-hmm. because to change the situation is going to be very discomforting and you've got to do things you've never done and be friends with people you've never, you know, been friends with, do jobs possibly out of your um, safety net. And so I think that just pulls you right back in. What I'm doing feels so uncomfortable, even though it is the quote unquote best thing for you. And it just, Mm -hmm. you just kind of, you know, fall right back into bad habits and things. Yeah. Yeah. This brings up for me to the idea of perfectionism. And I have a lot of people, you know, describe to me perfectionism as the way of um, thinking about like, I will do everything until it's completely perfect. And that's, I think sometimes how, how people experience perfectionism, but more often than not, perfectionism is the idea or the system you know, we're in or the concept of, I'm not even going to do it because I know that I can't get it to be perfect. So I'm not going to engage in that way at all. Or I won't even start this thing that may require a lot of difficulty or discomfort because I know that it won't turn out perfect, but I know this dumpster fire over here really familiarly. So I'm just going to keep hanging out over here Mm -hmm. because I know it's far from perfect and will never be there. When really, again, one of the cures I think is is allowing perfectionism to go because it's nothing in our life is going to fit into is, is going to fit into perfection. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, perfectionism and, you know, comfort, we talked about comfort doesn't mean that it feels good. It just means that you understand it. Right? <laughs> it just means that we're used to it. That's like spanks. what yes. Thanks. Come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I need them. <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking my like relationship it. with Chipotle because <laughs> I know what happens, but at least I know. At least I know. It's predictable. Right. So, so when we're talking about comfort this way, we're talking about, um, it's just something we're used to. 
in dysfunction, a couple things happen in dysfunctional families, and we're talking about dysfunction on a spectrum, right? But a couple things happen. One is that we usually are assigned a role in our family. And that role, whether we're the peacemaker or the problem child or the star student or whatever it is, we believe because that's the water we swim in that we have to fulfill that role. So that's where the perfectionism comes in, right? That's where we're taught perfectionism is whether we're fulfilling that role or not. So that happens. But in order to assume a role like that, what we have to do is disconnect from our own intuition and our own sense of self, because I'm not always the peacemaker and I'm not always the star student. And I'm not the problem. I'm just the canary in the coal mine that can, that is, you know, working out the dysfunction in this Mm -hmm. family. So when we are out in our in our lives trying to create other relationships if we're not aware of those roles if we're not aware of how we have been formed and fit for that we're going to find ourselves assuming those roles in other relationships and perpetuating that same dysfunction and if we engage in relationships with people who don't want to be in those roles and don't want to engage that way, it's going to feel so bad to us Mm. that we will sabotage that relationship in order to feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I love too how you're bringing in the idea of intuition and when we're, when we're moving in this way where, you know, I I believe that we can't self-sabotage while simultaneously being in tune with our intuition. Mm -mm. Because our intuition will never guide us towards self-sabotage, right? Our, our innate self, our most innate self, which is what I believe intuition has to do with, does not desire our own destruction. It mm-hmm. desires to have life and it desires to have the energy of life. And um, when we're deeply in tune with our intuition, it may guide us towards super uncomfortable stuff. And that can let us know, okay, I'm not... I'm not walking towards familiarity, but maybe I'm walking towards what I know is right intuitively. And and you've talked, Brooke, a lot about the idea of how integrity moves into that space too. So maybe that's something we can we can talk through as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious because I think integrity is a really supercharged word uh, and has been held onto by institutions as a way of keeping us in inst- in certain institutions. But I'm wondering, before we even talk about integrity, if if what your definition of integrity is or where you've come to that place of understanding that. That's a really good question. I think for me, it's what personally keeps me intact. Um, and it's acting in a way for myself where I can care for myself while not taking from other people or harming others, you know, in that there's kind of safety for all. But I don't know. It's good. I'll think about it. I'll let you know tomorrow. What my <laughs> sorry to self No, no, that's great. No, it, it was a really thought-provoking question. Like for me, because I agree with that. The institutions, you know, want want to say if you step out or you act in this way, even if your your self knowledge is telling you to do that, that you're not being um, acting with integrity and you're taking people with you and that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah. My concept is really similar to Phyllis, and I, I can tell you the exact moment I learned the definition I currently hold of integrity, and it was in a um, chapel at high school. And our principal at the time gave us an, an entire you know, thing about integrity. 
And he taught us that integrity is doing the right thing, even if no one will know that you did the right thing or the wrong thing, mm-hmm. still choosing the right thing, even with no audience. And as I think about that today, like I like parts of that, but it also still is this idea of controlling behavior. There is a right thing. To there do. is a right thing. And, and I think more expansively as an adult now, integrity for me is in my living in alignment with my values. Mm-hmm. But exactly what Phyllis said, I all have, I have like all these qualifiers about it. But like, as long as it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt, a, hurt other people and do these things and uphold these things. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's a little muddy. So you have to tell us now you read yeah, the book. I, I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still deconstructing this. I'm still trying to understand that. But for me, um, my idea of integrity actually comes from Huck Finn, <laughs> the book. <laughs> Right, because he is—he is good friends with um, Jim, who is a slave, and he wants to join a church, and he learns all about how the church hates Jim, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't um, leave or reject Jim, then he won't go to heaven, and his response to that is, "Well, then I'd rather go to hell." Right. And to me, as I have deconstructed and tried to understand integrity better and better, it is doing the scary thing that deep down my knowing self knows is true and right. And that might not always be the right thing that other people have taught me. And it's a really uncomfortable place to be Mm -hmm. and often feels like a lack of safety. So when we're moving into the space of reconnecting to our intuition, rejecting the roles that have been handed to us by whatever system we've been a part of, part of learning to not self-sabotage anymore is being able to sit in that space of, I am not going to make everyone happy here. When you describe it that way, Brooke, I realize that your definition of integrity is my definition of bravery. Mm. Because as you described that, I could think of moments in my life where I did the thing that was as earth shattering as I'd rather go to hell then. Mm -hmm. And what that filled me with was this very violent fire of bravery of like, I'm going to do it because it's the brave thing to do. Mm Right. And so I think bravery and integrity for me are really intertwined. And when we're talking about something like self-sabotage, I think that requires not only alignment with integrity, but also an immense amount of bravery to step into something different than you've ever stepped into before. Mm -hmm. And then to, Mm -hmm. like you said, Phyllis, release, release the control (laughs) that it's going to be completely comfortable because it will be completely the opposite of comfortable if you go there. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes acting in integrity and doing what's right, there is a possible big consequence for that. I think of like the civil rights movement at the time, um, you know, you could be arrested and your livelihood gone and loved ones, you know, taken from you or possibly your life. History now has shown that that was the um, brave and acting with integrity thing to do. Um, So I think that kind of goes along with making these changes and being cognizant of what I want to change in my life might have really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. consequences, even though it's the right thing. We might lose relationships. We might um, change jobs or, um, I don't don't know, just just kind of things that go with that. And to expect that Mm -hmm. so that when they happen, we don't then question, like, I shouldn't have done this. Mm -hmm. This is some sort of punishment for, you know, making a bad choice. Right. Well, you're talking about fear and risk 
right? Mm -hmm. Which is, those are always necessary. They're always going to be present when we make any changes in our life. We're always going to feel some sort of anxiety and sometimes even fear, depending on how big that change or that leap is. And there's always a risk to that. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be asking ourselves, are we, are, are we engaging this way? So maybe going back to the writer, perhaps there's some cognitions about whether this person can even have a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And because they fear that, they sabotage along the way so they never have to find out, mm -hmm. right? They never have to find out if they've done it. Or um, maybe they, they've heard over and over again from maybe someone well-meaning that they deserve the very best and they're so afraid that if they bring someone home whom they love deeply, but is rejected by their family, that that would really be painful. And so they self-sabotage in order to never even have to bring home <laughs> someone that they love, right? So we engage like this. We do the same thing in our jobs. We do the same thing in our relationships with our parents or our coworkers or our children, there are often reasons that we do it that are based in fear. And so that's where that bravery and that integrity comes in to self-sabotage. Like this writer said, I, I know what I want. After it's all over, I recognize that this person was great for me, but I, I did all these things to make it, to ruin it. And I'm putting that in quotations, right? Mm -hmm. To ruin it. That is that my integrity, my knowing is saying, move forward with this and do the brave thing. And all my protective pieces or all of the parts that want to drag me back to the familiar and the predictable are stronger. So mm -hmm. it's, it's about recognizing but not allowing those to take over. Mm -hmm. It's causing me too to think about, you know, as we, as we move to talking about how do we, how do we shift out of that, the role of self-compassion and I've, I've said to my own therapist multiple times, like, I wish I had begun this work earlier. I wish I had known this sooner. And repeatedly she responds to me with, this is the timing for this in this like very, like, I wish you could see my arms cause they're like <laughs> yoga kind of like, Ooh, <laughs> mystical, but it's this very like knowing stance of like, no, we come to the places that we come to when we're ready to come to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think this, a really juicy, healthy dose of self-compassion, once you recognize self-sabotage is so important mm -hmm. because it's served a purpose. And then when you shower that self-compassion on, you can say, okay, I'm, I'm available now for something different. I'm ready now for something different. And then we can talk about how to posture ourselves as we move forward out of self-sabotage and those patterns. Mm -hmm. Self-sabotage, self compassion I think sometimes when we think about making a change we think about this 180 shift where right. right like I go from ruining everything to making everything flourish in my life and and that's not true it's the series of small changes and shifts and so when we're talking about self-compassion we're not saying one morning you're going to wake up and you're going to say hey this person laying next to me is so great and I'm so happy <laughs> to be here and I don't care what my dad says or anything like that yeah. Um, it, that's not that at all, but it's about the noticing. It's about awareness. It's about, instead of hating ourselves, like this writer said, it's about just saying, Hey, I think I'm beginning to understand where this came from. And it's not me. It's how I learned to be. Yes. 
I had a thought along those lines that you just can't change it all mm-hmm. at once. I think of like New Year's resolutions, like I'm going to go to bed on time, I'm going to drink all my water, and you know, floss, floss. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call my mom every week. You know, and you just like set up all these things that you're going to do, and after like four days, you're like, eh. Because <laughs> no, it's too much. Yeah, but if you just said this year, I'm going to drink water. But yeah. you know, that's what I'm going to do or this month or, or whatever. These have to be slow, integrated changes that you can't just like you say overnight or even have this realization, listen to this podcast yeah. and think, oh yeah, I'm changed. Solved. I'm changed. <laughs> Look at that. How easy that was. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes use the phrase, the smallest activation of change with my clients. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about this big term goal of like, you know, finding healthier partners that comes up in, in work a lot. What's the smallest activation of change, though? And that might be shifting um, shifting what you think about in the morning. Just that, just having a different thought. Like the most minute, small, microscopic even shift and change. Mm-hmm. And then see where it moves you. Mm-hmm. But when we go out of our threshold for change too quickly, it creates another failure, which we can then perceive as self-sabotage. Right. Yeah. And, and we moved back into the sea. I didn't think I could do it. And I was right. So we, yeah. So, so do the small things often for, for my clients and even for myself, when I'm trying to shift something, a behavior or a thought like that, it really is just, there's a difference between how I learned to be and who I am and how do I begin to, to just allow myself to sit with the tension of that Mm -hmm. rather than just believing everything is me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So When we're thinking about moving out of self-sabotage, we've talked about self-compassion. We've talked about bravery. I think there's space for curiosity there. Um, Smallest activation of change. What does it, what does it look like when somebody is actively moving out of self-sabotage? What does that look like for, for the two of you before when you've witnessed that or observed that maybe in self or clients? Uh, For me, uh, what it looks like is that they notice that they handled an argument differently than they normally would have, or that they become aware when they wake up in the morning of what that first thought Mm. is and how that shapes their day. For me personally, um, it was a gradual understanding and you know I I don't know I think I probably still participate in (laughs) self-sabotage at some level because there are parts of me that I don't know or understand yet right but for for me it was beginning to understand that I I could handle the unknown and that that came from things that were completely unrelated to school, like me learning how to fix my own sprinklers or me mm. <laughs> me learning how to you know completely handle our finances or things like that that felt less threatening than me going to school and changing everything. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was those small changes uh, that made the unknown feel oh, okay enough to step into it. Yeah. Um, positive affirmations. I admire my friends, Mm -hmm. I work in a healthy environment, then your brain accepts all of that all at once and it doesn't have to switch from the negative to the positive. And so, you know, because for a while when I'd hear about affirmations, I'm like, what is this voodoo? You're just telling yourself you're happy. (laughs) Come on, you know, (laughs) you know, but understanding that's how the brain will work. It just latches onto it immediately and there's complete integration. And so I just have people start with that. Um, I'm happy today. Yeah. 
you know, that I think that leads into um, a takeaway for me, which is we talk about this a lot, actually, is like, look where you want to go. And I've used that very similarly, what you just said, Phyllis, I, um, my partner, when he's doing briefings at his work or he's speaking in public, he will sweat. And so he kept saying in his mind, don't sweat, don't sweat, don't sweat. And I said, oh no, you're telling your brain sweat, 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 sweat. (laughs) And so now we shift those cognitions, right? Stay cool. I've got this, the things you want your brain to integrate. And so I'm thinking too, like, even if you're not at the point of being ready to activate that change, even the small activations of change, but can you look in the direction? Can you just start to shift your head and say, I would love to have a healthy relationship. Maybe it's this one turned differently. Maybe it's an entirely different one. But that's what I keep thinking about is to move forward from self-sabotage looks like you don't have to rehash why why every one of those patterns has ever happened before. That can sometimes get us in pretty intense gridlock. But where do you want to start now? You know, now that there's some awareness on board and what, what do you want it to maybe look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Instead of calling it a failed relationship, it's a relationship I learned something from. Right. And then what did you learn? What will you keep with you? What yeah. would, would you like to leave? Yeah. Uh, so looking at it that way, definitely. My takeaway is uh, the, a question of whether you are telling a story of fear or whether you are telling a story of possibility. Mm-hmm. So our brain does not know the difference between what's happening now and the story that we're telling ourselves, which is why I can think about, I don't know what's happening in the world and all of the terrible, horrible things that could happen and my body will respond to that. It does the same thing when I tell a story about my relationships that's scary. Um, but if that's true, then it's also true that if I tell a story of possibility, my body will respond to that and I can begin to shift that baseline and that homeostasis instead of always trying to keep myself in that place. And as always, if you're wondering where a safe and good place to explore (laughs) self-sabotage, it's still therapy. So (laughs) one more plug for therapy. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, fellas. If you are interested in submitting a question or letter to the Heart of Life podcast, you can do so at our website, riverbendcolorado.com, and click on the podcast tab. We would love for you to give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. By doing so, you help us make the Heart of Life podcast easier to find and more accessible for everyone. We will see you next week as we walk each other home. Mm